Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy. I play in a band called Lord and I host this podcast. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, welcome. This is a good episode to start with. And if you do enjoy this episode, I hope that you subscribe on iTunes or any of the podcasting platforms that are out there and uh, go and listen to some of the previous episodes that I've had. There are lots of cool guests that I've had on the podcast over the last couple of years. This episode, I believe, is episode 79, so we are full steam ahead, one every week, so uh, I hope that you uh, stick around for the long term. There's heaps of cool guests to come as well. If you've been listening long term, you're a loyal supporter, welcome back. All right, so this week, I'm going to cut the shit and get straight into it. (laughs) This is with Chris Marrick. Uh, Chris Marrick runs his own promotions and publicity company called Marrick Media. Um, He's a PR guru when it comes to music and in particular heavy music, uh, heavy metal. Marek has been around for years in the music industry, the last 20 odd years. Uh, He has done a hell of a lot of work for a number of different labels. Um, Some of the big guns, including Sony, EMI, um, I think there's somebody else off the top of my head and I cannot remember. I should have written that down before I started. But he is well-versed in the music world and uh, knows a lot of people, as you will hear in this episode. Uh, The purpose of this was, well, I want to catch up with Chris because I haven't spoken to him for quite a while. Um, And I really want to learn a lot more about what he does and the mechanics around his company and his job. But we didn't have a lot of time for that, and I'm going to leave that for a part two. The main purpose for this and what sort of sparked the idea of getting together and and doing this podcast was Chris is going on a charity bike ride, I believe, is it next week or the week after? He flies out next Friday to the UK, and the charity ride is called Heavy Metal Truants. And it is a metal bike ride that starts in London and ends at the Download Festival. And it's, I think it's like a three-day ride and it's 275 kilometers of bike riding. And there's a whole range of different stages. And it's it's run by one of the guys that um, used to run Metal Hammer. And I'm going to get, I've completely forgotten his name. And also Rod Smallwood, uh, the manager of Iron Maiden. And Chris goes into detail on the podcast, so I won't crap on too much, but um, it's a really, really cool charity bike ride that they do. They raise money for three different charities, which is Nordoff Robbins, uh, Teenage Cancer Trust, and Childline. So for people in Australia, it's Childline's like the equivalent of Lifeline. So some really good charities for young people. Um, it's a really good cause, and it sounds like a punishing event. Like Chris goes into some of the detail of, of sort of how – how the charity thing is set up, how the bike ride's set up and what's involved. And he's been doing a lot of training and um, he's taking Carl, who is the uh, editor of Heavy Magazine here in Australia, along for his first uh, charity bike ride. And um, it'll be interesting to see how Carl goes because Carl won't let uh, Chris know uh, how his training's going. So anyway, Chris goes into all that in this conversation. Uh, the most important thing of this podcast that I must stress is that Chris is raising money for these charities. So part of the, I guess, criteria to be a part of the charity bike ride is that you have to commit to raise a certain amount of money. So both Chris and Carl are raising uh, about two and a half thousand pounds roughly off the top of my head and so they're looking for donations from all sorts of people anyone and everyone that might be uh, interested in being a part of the uh, 
of the uh, charity bike ride and donating for these great causes. Um, I think for a lot of us in the music world, especially in Australia, but internationally, and Chris works with so many different international bands, as you'll as you'll hear in the podcast. But for a lot of us Australians. Um, it's probably a really good opportunity to consider throwing a couple of dollars their way. Um, you know, no obligation, no pressure, but um, these guys do a lot for us. Carl runs, you know, a really popular magazine for, for Australian music and Chris has been promoting and working for so many Australian bands, including us, Lord, for for a long, long time, a long time. And um, they've They've absolutely bled for, for us over the years. And um, I think if everyone can throw a dollar or two their way, um, you know, it's a, every little bit counts, as they always say. Um, but if you do uh, donate, um, the guys will be extremely grateful. And I think uh, Carl's doing some shout-outs on, uh, on the Heavy Magazine website as well. So if you want a little bit of extra uh, acknowledgement, you can do that also. But uh, the website, before we kick off, is justgiving.com slash Australian Truants. So that's Australian. Truants is spelled T-R-U-A-N-T-S. I'll have the links over at andysocial.net as well, just in case you don't have time to write that down. And we'll discuss it more in the podcast anyway. All right, enough. Enough, enough, Andy. Shut up. Stop talking. Enjoy this episode with Chris Merritt. Hey, Ben, it's been freaking ages. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. You've, um, you've been busy. It's really funny because um, I go through these periods of crushing self-doubt when you uh, when you kind of go, fuck, you know, not like you're begging for work or anything, but you're like, what's going to happen? You know, like someone else is getting all of these tours and I'm not, but then all of a sudden your plate's full again and you're like, I don't have time for those tours anyway. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, I mean, there's not too many of, uh, you know, I would say professional PRs in the circle, but, um, you know, there seems to be more than enough work to go around. Mm. And um, last night would have been one of them? Uh, well, it was kind of there more for, um, thank you. Um, I wasn't in a work capacity last night. Well, I kind of was, but I didn't have to do anything on the Devon tour. It was more um, catching up with their manager. And I've known Dev since like 2000 or something like that. So it was more catching up with him. Um, I did, you know, I've done stuff with him before. I'm friends with the drummer. So it's kind of more just like, a, hey, let's catch up kind of thing. Um, nothing official, but I was in town anyway for a meeting with the Orchard, who kind of like do digital digital distribution. So it all made sense. Yeah, cool. Kill, um, kill a few and it's, and it's cool. Like, yeah, well, like the same with last year when I did Sabbath um, here, and then caught them at Download and Hellfest. Like, you know, a month later, I'm Devon playing both of those too. So I'll get to see them like three times in six weeks or something. You must be, you must be an extreme version of me where I can go to a local gig and I can never like have a normal conversation with somebody because there's constantly like somebody else that I see that I know, but you're like on the extreme end of that where you go to like an international show or international massive festival and you could be uh, just turning around and every, every direction will be somebody that you've met over the years. Well, I mean, even, even last year, um, I was at Hellfest and then he's a good, like, I'd never really experienced that before because, you know, with Soundwave or something like that, yes, it's a rolling festival, but you see the same people in Sydney as you did in Melbourne and yeah. and that kind of thing. But at Hellfest and Download, it's a three-day festival where the festival kind of comes to you. Like, I didn't move, but every day it was a different lineup and a different crew and a different set of people. So it was kind of like, hey, it literally was three different festivals because, you know, one day I'm on a Mars rock up and then the next day 
someone someone else comes in and it's like every time you turned around it was someone that you'd met and you know even I remember you know walking up with um, Brian Slagle like the boss of Metal Blade who's one of my bosses and we walked over to Anthrax and Scott and he's like didn't expect to see you here what are you doing here <laughs> and I was like I know usually you come to us right this is one of the few times I go over there and um and just crew guys as well like I've you know always been open to anyone that's on the team so like you see like you know there's a, there's a guy who was doing lighting for Ramstein and the last time I saw him he was out here with Hell Yeah or something like that so those guys move from job to job as well yeah um so it's, it's always good because you know it's it's a level playing field it's like you know you're all in it together there's no elitism and that's what that's a big thing I noticed over there was I mean you've, you've experienced that too I'm sure it's just like that no one gives a shit at what level you're at everyone's there for the same reason and I really found that refreshing I guess especially in in probably settings like that where you're at a fairly large a large festival where I think the caliber from bottom to top is is pretty pretty high and I think yeah. there's there's I mean there's always going to be competition and, and sort of uh, light rivalries between bands and whatnot but overall everybody's more or less they don't have to prove anything sort of when it comes to like sort of the backstage and and talking to other people yeah. everyone's sort of on the same page for the most part. Well, and it is that case of, like, when you turn your head, you kind of break your neck from tripping over people that are either famous or no famous people. Like, you know, <laughs> I remember there, you know, I was talking to someone, you know, I don't want to be name-dropping here, but, you know, I was talking to somebody from my side of the fence, and Mark Tremonti walks over, and he says, yeah, can I, I'll see you, I'm doing your album next year, I'll see you next year, yeah, cool. And he walks off and goes and talks to Gene Hoglan, who, you know, you know, yeah. like, it's, it's all just, you know, like, back there, it's like, leave leave your status at the door kind of thing and it was just like we're all here you're all you've all got your special bullshit pass on you anyway so you're all VIPs in your own head so there's no reason to be playing that egomaniac and if you were I don't think they were around they either kept them themselves like I remember you know I actually fanboyed out when I saw Henry Rollins there and I, I you know I kind of cornered him I guess because he didn't want <laughs> he didn't want to play with everybody else I, he kind of like the the imagine like a donut like yeah you know, for Hellfest like the VIP was like an inside outside bar like it was inside the complex but it was open air so everyone yeah. was smoking and whatnot and then all of the dressing rooms are, are, are around that and he kind of walked in literally everybody turned around and went was that was that 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 was him right that was that was Rollins you know and because he was so quick about it and he, he obviously just gone and grabbed a bunch of waters and kind of come back like almost like inconspicuous then didn't, didn't want to be seen <laughs> and I'm like. That's fucking Rollins, man, you know, and then I didn't do it, but like 20 minutes later, I had to go to the bathroom and just happened to walk past the aisle that he was standing in, and he was still there when I came back, and I'm like, all right, hey, how are you, you know, you're a big fan of Oz Australia, and da 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 and he's like, yeah, man, really tired, he, poor bugger, you know, was doing that Guta Demmer and Death Star film yeah, that he made, yeah. But he wasn't going on stage until one in the morning. Oh. So he was there, he was there at like mid-afternoon, he's like, I'm so tired, but I've got to stick around until you know, the end almost and and then do my thing. And I was like, Wow and that was something I didn't understand either. It was like, you know, only in Europe can King Diamond follow Black Sabbath at one in the morning and still have eight thousand people watch them. <laughs> it's uh it's a bit unique because I mean you could never pull anything off like that in Australia at all whatsoever. I think after no. after about eleven PM uh I think everybody's looking for, for the exit and it doesn't matter who's following <laughs> 
Well, I, you know, and, and there's talk of international festivals, you know, making their debut here. And, and I honestly don't think we're a mature enough country to have a multi-day festival anyway because it would be like the summer nats on, oh, you know, yeah. amplified. It, they were just, no one's responsible enough, I think, and I think they know that, you know, like the, the English camping is in their nature. You know, one of the best things I saw at Hellfest was someone was just destroyed, like wrecked, passed out in the corner. And instead of, you know, people spitting on him or throwing butts or drawing dicks on his forehead, someone just put a blanket on him and left him alone. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, that, 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 you know, no VB carton hat-wearing idiot going to give him any grief, you know. It was just like, yeah, he's had, a, he's had his good fun and let's leave him be, you know. And I, I really liked that. It was it was clean and, uh, you know, there's bins everywhere and it was, just, it was treated with respect and everyone treated each other with respect, whether you were you know, in the VIP area or you were out in the, in the field enjoying it too. And I think so it, was, it was really interesting. And I think in Australia, it's it's a case where so many there's so many things that we've been starved on, for, starved of for so many years that whenever something we are allowed to do something, we don't just go, "Oh, cool, thank you very much." We just like we're just going to rip everything apart out of excitement mm-hmm. and take it to the absolute extreme. Like it's almost like we're going to make the most of this because we're never going to get it again. So let's just. <laughs> and that's like, why you're never going to get it again. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. And we're just going to destroy this and absolutely just. It's it's like the world's going to end tomorrow. And well, it's that- like a child with a with a box. You know, they get you know two year old. They just destroy the box. I don't know what's in it. No, this is cool. <laughs> Oh, that's it. Well, saying saying that, uh, one of the funniest things was like when I landed in London, like um, at the start of the whole journey last year. Like it was I, for some reason, I, I don't really sleep on international like outbound. I think maybe it's you know, it, it never gets old. You know, I've done mm-hmm. it like ten yeah. times, but you kind of going, all oh, right, I'm going to the real world here. Um, <laughs> but I, I land. Oddly, people, famous people have died on nearly every flight I've taken to London. Like Heath Ledger died. We got off the plane once and found out he passed away. And Michael Jackson. And this time around, it was Muhammad Ali. It's like, is that a weird curse or not? Um, but anyway, I found myself uh, at Borough Markets, which is on the south bank of London. About lunchtime of that day, I went to my friend's place where I'm staying, dumped all my gear, and I head straight into town. And I was meeting someone at Camden later that night. And I got... Uh, sort of stuck, you know, Borough Markets is, is an unbelievable foodie heaven. It's been there for a thousand years. Um, and I had like a wild boar hamburger and, and I ended up at this cider bar, which is like a, a permanent fixture there. And just started just drinking with whoever was sitting next to me, you know, and <laughs> to the point where the, the owner's like, man, get the fuck out of here, we're closed. <laughs> and we, like they pulled the shutters down and the three guys that were working there and me and two other blokes ended up kind of just outside standing in the gutter drinking from this goon but the leftovers kind of thing and there was a pub across the street where all the local like all the market dudes go like end of shift kind of thing mm. and we're standing in the gutter and I don't I don't even know these guys names we're just having a drink and the like a 12 seater van kept circling every couple of minutes with police in it and I'm like oh we better we better um we better move you know and, and they're like what and then they come around again I said look they've come around again we, be- we better get off the street and put the put the alcohol away and they go what are you talking about <laughs> I'm like well if this happened in Sydney man we'd be in jail already you know vagrant sitting there drinking in the gutter you know 7 o'clock at night even though it was broad daylight they go are you serious they can try and stop us we'd, there'd be a riot you know <laughs> it's like you know, drinking in the street calmly not shithead yeah. everywhere yeah, and I, and I went on to explain the lockout laws to them, and I think the look I got back was, "No wonder you guys were the convict colony." You know, like <laughs> it really, it really was. It just didn't, didn't 
you can see them trying to process it. It's like, yeah. what? You're going to tell me when to drink and, and how to drink and, and get fucked kind of thing. And, and, and it kind of just made me feel really small again. It was like, yeah, it's really ridiculous. Not, like nobody, everyone was an adult about it. No one was being crazy. But like you said, the minute they let you do that, everyone goes bananas again and just ruins it for everybody. Well, I, I, I mean, I've done a bit of traveling over the years and I, I know initially when I first started traveling, it was always like, oh, especially if you're in Europe or something like that and you can hear the American coming from a mile away and you're like, oh, God, run the other way. Like, you got to get away from the American tourists. And then it was like the really sort of the really loud British tourists. But then over the years, I've realized that the people that I avoid the most are, are Aussies because yeah. they are just out of control and they've it's, it's just party mode no matter what. And going to Japan the first time, like, I don't know, 10 plus years ago, there was hardly any, like we were there for 10 days the first time. There was hardly any Caucasians. I think I saw two or three Caucasians in 10 days there. And it was amazing. And like, we were probably idiots ourselves. So I can't really, you know, bash too many other people. Mm. But, you know, they, they got beer vending machines. You go to 7 Eleven, you pick up a beer and you keep, you do a convenience store crawl instead of a pub crawl. And you're walking around, it's fantastic. You get treated really nice. Everyone's really courteous. Then fast forward 10 years and you go there again and you've got all the two-for-one Jetstar deals. It's dirt cheap. It's become it's become <laughs> it's, the it's second the Bali. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and now, like, I mean, I think it's more I, – I just get it a bit more from the people that I know that are Japanese over there and it's just it's almost like the novelty's worn off. It's like, oh, you guys have just overstayed. You're welcome. You guys are getting yeah. really tiring. We were so polite when you first started coming over, but now – it's a different story, and you start to see a lot more Aussies there. They're getting kicked out of pubs. They're causing a lot of ruckus, and and it's even more of a – you notice it even more in a place like that where there's so much cur- courtesy between people and respect and whatnot, and then you've got these really loud Caucasian guys that are just off their face drinking all day, and it's just uh, – you just sit there and well, go, Well, oh, I, I wonder if it's going to be, you know, a case of like, you know, Americans sort of caught on to the fact that they were embarrassing themselves, so people, they started calling themselves Canadians. And I wonder if <laughs> Aussies abroad are going to start calling themselves Kiwis or something because, <laughs> you know, it's a, I, I'm not – like, I remember, uh, you know, the first time I was in Paris, and I had, you had, you know, this is just an amazing city, but you have to do all the touristy stuff. And yeah. I was in the line for the Eiffel Tower, which – took forever, like two hours or something like that to sort of cycle through. And when it's a snaking line, you end up crossing the people in front of you multiple times as the line moves, right? Yeah. And there was a group of girls there and you could hear the Australian in them like for uh. a mile off. And I just, first of all, I was like, you know, I haven't spoken to anyone for a couple of weeks. I've been traveling for like three months. I'll say hello. And then just for that was it. Nothing like, oh, you know, just, hi, I'm Australian too. But then I'm like, they'll probably say, who gives a shit? Um, and I just didn't want to have that engagement. It was like, nah, I kind of left home to get away from this shit. And <laughs> and I think, you know, you're right too. Like there's just that, you know, I don't, I don't want to sit here and turn this into a banging session, but those guys that kind of think that Bali's going on a holiday, it's like go to the beach instead, you know, like that's, you know, like, well, actually the perfect example was when I was in Bergen in Oslo, which is pretty damn remote, mm. unless they're like a big black metal pilgrimage, which I was on. Yeah. Um, the first person I met, except for the grumpy shit at the desk, was uh, the guy staying in my room was from Adelaide. And <laughs> I had a conversation, and I'm like, man, you know, what are you doing here? Because it was like February. It was freezing cold. It wasn't summer or anything. I'm here to, you know, do all the girls. And I was like, really? <laughs> you, you, you came to the opposite side of the world 
to do what you can do at home. Okay, no worries. I said, are you going to go, like, that's fine, cool, that's good on you. You know, I wish I was your age. Um, but <laughs> are you going to do anything too? Like, I'm going out to see some fjords tomorrow and I'm going to go and see these mountains. And he's like, oh, fuck that. No, nah, they're all in town, mate. You know, rock on. I was like, so, okay, so you've got one half of you can go and party on, but, you know, if you're there, then that wilderness is, like, literally at your doorstep and you don't give a shit. It's like, what's your purpose? I don't even know, like, why you do that, you know? And that's what the, the, those European summer festivals are about, is almost like a, the music is secondary to the experience, I think, especially some of those ones that are getting really popular now, like in Eastern Europe, like those Slovenian ones where they're, or the 70,000 tons cruise. It's like an experience with music added to it rather than that being the, the, the overall thing. Yeah. And whereas here, it was always about the music. No one's... And an interesting thing too was um, at Download, like I was staying at Nottingham, which is maybe 45 minutes north. Like so it's the next town. Mm. Download's in the middle of the countryside, but I couldn't get anywhere around the venue. So with Holiday Inn that I was staying at had a... Um, like a, a laminate on the reception counter. It's like, hey, you know, download guests, you know, Instagram your best photos and, and, and we'll select one and you can, we'll, we'll comp your room and we'll give you a bottle of champagne. And they all got into it. And I'm like, can you imagine, like, when Soundwave was running, that the Holiday Inn in Homebush gave a fuck about Soundwave happening next door? <laughs> you know, at all. Yeah, like, yeah. Any, I think anyone outside of that complex would have had no clue as to what was going on within it that day. Whereas this, place was willing to like get into the spirit and you know like it was it was a you know obviously it's a smaller town it's not city it didn't have it in london or anything but i think you know it, you know even the um the taxi drivers they all know it they do it every year it's been going for 30 or something years you know as monsters are rock and all that so it's nothing new to them but it's it's an all-in kind of thing you know and and to this to a similar extent Hellfest, like we got picked up from the airport and you know again it was like a half an hour taxi ride to the to the thing and and the guy was like oh you like heavy metal like he said I, I am I don't like heavy metal but fuck your hell fest and it was just like <laughs> awesome you know like it was really fun it was like the whole town was switched on kind of thing because this big event was coming through I think I think obviously for from their perspective they can see the benefits not just the fact that there's a there's an overabundance of black shirts and long haired guys that are drinking and guys and girls drinking. They can see that, you know, it's bringing people to the area. It's bringing oh, money yeah. in. And so they can see all the benefits and they can see the positives. Whereas I think here sometimes I think it changes and you probably see it more so than anybody else. I think in some ways it's, it's been better than what it has in the past, but I think people still instantly, had the stigmas attached to the music and that overrides anything else. They don't even open their mind to any possibilities of benefits, even for, from a business point of view, they just cannot see past it. But it's like that old, um, I mean, if, if you're a metal fan, you'll, you'll know the story with, with Wacken and how that whole town from that, from that festival period, they make enough money from that festival period to pretty much fund the rest of the year. Like a lot of them don't need to yeah. really work and it's just incredible, but they all get behind it. They're all participating and they all believe in it because they can see the benefits for the, for the entire community, not just, uh, not just for a couple of promoters putting on a big festival and, and clogging up the streets. Totally. Yeah. Well, I, th I think the same thing, like I was talking to someone that's um, involved in Dark Mofo, uh, who pretty much said the same thing, like Dark Mofo, like it's, Hobart or Tasmania literally doubles in size, yeah, population-wise for the two weeks that that's on. And I think maybe you know we're we're 
you know, that time has passed enough from like the big day out on the sound waves and that for a, a, a different way of thinking about those kind of things. But which is really funny because the rock and metal festivals, nothing ever happened at those. It was the dance festivals and the, the you know, the stereosonics and that where everyone was off their face. But that's where the trouble was. I never saw shit happen at a metal festival. You know, you get a couple of guys that throw up, but you know, that's it. There's no, there's no violence. There's no incidents. Not, you know, and, and if there is, it's, it's very, very low. So on, on a whole, well behaved, but it's just, I don't know, it is, it is that kind of stigma that's attached to it, you know, kind of thing. Whereas, I guess, you know, like a dance festival or something, it's mostly white colour boys that get into it and they're the ones shit flinging, you know, during the day, but they're on the pingers at night. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really weird. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, like the, and the Dark Mofo as well is it's not just a metal festival. Well, it's not a metal festival at all. It's like a two week cultural exchange, you know, where there's, you know, what's really funny is my mum's going to that thing. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That means you that know, they're doing something right. Yeah, I mean, she was she was up the other day, and she's like, "Oh, you know, you're away this year. I'm going on a cruise with my girlfriends to Hobart, and we evil things for a couple of days. And then there's some of this. You'd really like it. And it's a mofo, I think it's called. And I went, "Are you going to Dark Mode? She goes, "That's what it's called." <laughs> oh my god, my mum's more metal than I am, man. <laughs> but I mean, really, they've, that that's exactly what you need to do. Is that you need to push push it from another angle, and you. It's not just. I mean. As much as it's romantic to sort of look at it and go, oh, man, it's all about the music, man. Like, you know, that's that's the most important thing. Well, yeah, it can be, but you got to cater for it. If you want something to be successful, and I guess you got to look at it from a business point of view, you got to provide mm. different things for the community. And it's not just for the people, the punters that are going to see that particular thing. It's for the wider community that's got to host. And, and then what can you do that's going to benefit them, not just money, but also, like in this instance, it's cultural activities where it's probably giving a lot of exposure to local people, not and as well as yeah. international, and then mel- merging everyone together. So it's this amazing opportunity to get noticed and and network and and be able to push different things in different areas. And there's just so many additional benefits there. And it's just not just a standard. Oh, well, we're going to put on a music festival. It's it's this massive cultural event that's got so many. And that's probably why they got. I'm assuming they've got a fair bit of government backing behind it as well because it's just such a massive. I would assume so, and I think this year's you know lineup, like the press that it got, was yeah. not regular. It was some. You know, I think everyone's gone. What is this? Where'd this come from? And this year's really been a year. I'm you know I'm kind of spewing that I'm missing it, but then again I'm going to three festivals while I'm away, so I can't complain. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know it, it does look like you know as, as I said to the guy, I was like, man, you know, because I wasn't really. Um, too familiar with the whole concept. I do like a couple of bands that I look after are on the bill. And I was like, okay, you know, like, is it, I know it's more than one day, but when he said it's like a two week thing and there's a whole bunch of different things on it, it's like, I said, can more or less just divorce yourself from your, your real life <laughs> for a fortnight and in, and just go and immerse yourself in this other world, like the biggest pagan gathering festival ever. And he's like, pretty much, you know, like you can just forget about the real world for, and, you know, two, three day festivals, cool, but two weeks, you wouldn't know yourself at the end of that. I think that would be brilliant if you could do the whole thing. Mm, oh, absolutely. I was looking at the roster and I was trying to work out if I was going to go what weekend to go. And then I realized that all the bands I like are pretty much smack bang over the entire two weeks. I'm like, oh man, I cannot do this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but then that's, I mean, that's, it's, that's not the point of what, what the event is either. It's, I mean, you've got probably a varying demographic of people where you've got 
probably on the extreme end of the spectrum that will be there for the entire two weeks and completely immerse themselves. And then you'll have people that come and go during that period yeah. for particular events. And that's probably what will make it so successful. It's not like a, it's not like a day, a day long festival, like a big day out in the sound wave where it's like, yeah, you pay your ticket, no pass outs. You're there for the mm. entire duration. And uh, when it's over, like once you leave, that's it, it's over. Whereas this is like, you, you pick and choose what you, what you're doing. Yeah, and, you know, you can be like it's when you go to, like, camps for a week or something like that. Oh, I'll go to that gallery tomorrow. I'll do this. I'll do that. And you can you have the freedom to sort of to do it. And, you know, like when the weekend that I arrived in London and the same thing happened last year when I got there was um, a festival in Camden called Camden Rocks. Hmm. And it's like 200 bands across the three-day weekend. But, I mean, Camden is what King Street wishes it was and never has been <laughs> um, on roids. And... There's like you know, ten, a dozen venues spread out across like the mile that it goes through. Yeah. So you basically get a ticket, you get a wristband, and you just walk in and out of every venue. You've got the Underworld, you've got the Electric Ballroom, you've got um, oh, what's it called? I don't know. I can't. <laughs> There's so many of them. Um, but you just you know the the Black Heart as well. Like you just walk in and out whenever you feel like it if you've got the wristband on because you might walk into this one at two o'clock in the afternoon and some. Doom band is playing, come back later on that night across the road and another one, there's a trash band, whatever. You know, and it's, it was incredible. It was like, and most of it's pretty, there's nothing really huge. There's obviously headliners, but most of those bands are kind of emerging. But the fact that you can do that, you know, like imagine having that thing on King Street where you walk out of the end mall after seeing some relatively big band and then you walk down to the townie and see another one and then you walk down to the Vanguard and see another one and come back yeah. all weekend. Yeah, you know, and, and and that's kind of I think like the dark mofo thing. It's almost like, yeah, London condensed into a two week thing because over there there's something all the time. Whereas Sydney doesn't have that ability. Melbourne does a little bit more, but even that, it's like you can't just have that that stuff coming through all the time because it's just too expensive to bring it out or. You know, saying uh, that there's bands here every weekend and tickets and ticket prices are getting out of control. No, absolutely. Well, I think um, I think the other thing is it's a bit of a psychological thing. I think if you give people free reign or perceived free reign, where they've that concept of having the ticket and then freely being able to go in and out of venues, I think people then are so much more inclined to go and discover new things. They're not pressed to go and be forced to watch something and go, well, I'm only going to watch this stuff, the, like, you know, your traditional go and see an international band and, and skip the support act and stay in the bar or whatever. You would, you're more inclined to start bouncing in and out of venues to go and go, oh, these guys sound interesting. Let's go and check them out for half an hour and then we'll keep moving on until the next next uh, interesting band plays. And it just gives people a bit more – I think people are a bit more enthusiastic to be a part of something if – they're not forced yeah. to follow a particular schedule. And then you can, you know, if you want to, you can just duck out and go shopping or go get food. I mean, one of the biggest things that annoys me, like, say, with the Manning Bar, for example, is you, you're there and you leave. Like, they, they, half the time that bar that serves food is not even working. Yeah. And, you know, what's, what's it to, I know they've got to pay everybody in that, but I, I really think that gigs in this country should... When the headliner finishes, give everyone half an hour to clear out. Don't kick them out straight away. They've just finished. Let them wind down. Leave the bar open for another little bit. Have another round or two and then go. Like, that pisses me off when, you know, get out. Right, the band's finished. You've got 
10 minutes to get the fuck out of here and it's almost like a harassment you've overstayed you're welcome to get out oh, of this venue i've done that and a couple it, of times where where i've had security like in my face i think a few shows at the horden where yeah you're yelling out over the ban- barrier because you might see someone from from the road crew or somebody that you know and you're saying hello quickly and security's like in your face almost ready to hit you to say like, get the hell out of here and it's like whoa man like they literally just walked off the stage come on man. I know. Yeah. It's, it's like you're not you're not you're not trying to jump the barrier you're not trying to do anything they can see what you're doing it's just an ego trip i think yeah and i think you know, I mean, like, that happened last night at devon you know like yeah. i was it was six of us and we you know one didn't have a pass mm. he's got to go it's like i'm going to sort his pass well hurry up about it and it's like do you really like look at us do we look like 18 year old kids trying to sneak in the backstage really yeah. you know it's, it's like you, you guys i know they've got a job but they also should exercise a little bit of common sense about it uh, absolutely. I think like a lot of these things is such just massive opportunities being missed for from a financial point of view, even if you don't give a fuck about the people that are there. Like you could make yeah. so much money off these people, like, you know, examples like you said with food and whatnot or just having people hang around a bit longer and leaving the bar open. And, yeah, I, I guess it's a lot harder in Sydney because you've got these crazy laws and licences and after certain mm. times it gets it gets out of control and it's not viable, but... Um, I'm sure there's plenty of things like even like, you know, opening up doors earlier for in particular sections to allow people to to mingle and, and party and, and have a good yeah. time before you come in. Jeez, get people lubed up so when they come into the room, they'll actually go and buy double the amount of drinks at the bar because they're ready to go. You don't have to wait well, for that- half the night until they warm up and then they start buying drinks and then you close the bar halfway through the headliner. <laughs> so, and, and I think I think if you noticed as well, I think, you know, maybe it's an age thing, but when, you know, we were half our age, there was this electric anticipation in the air before a band started. Last night at Devon, you could have had a conversation with the guy 50 metres away from you, like, <laughs> you know, and heard him because it was just people standing around. Like, I remember going to Metallica or Slayer and you're like, something's going to happen here. This is incredible. You know, Pantera at the entertainment centre, like, just the whole of Chinatown was just, like, electric. Yeah. And now it's like, yeah, a bunch of middle old, middle-aged guys are just, fuck, I want this guy to play and then go home. But saying that with... um you know, kicking everybody out at the end and and a missed financial opportunity. Also, like, they're throwing out 2,000 people all at once. Where are they supposed to go? What are they supposed to do? If you let the bar go for another half an hour, people would just sort of filter out into the night and you wouldn't just dump all these people, which is when incidents can happen. If you throw all these people out on the street at the same time, who knows? You know, I mean, luckily, not much happens, but, you know... They've all got to bugger off into the night. Oh, that's it, and it's and, and the M more itself is is pretty dangerous because you've got two thousand people all coming out into that tiny little side on the side of the road. You've got the road right there. The security kind of stand on the road, but you've got people walking on the road to get through the crowd, and it's just mm-hmm. it's just so congested with people. And I'm, I'm surprised that nothing has happened there because. I've seen so many people just half standing out on the road drunk because they're trying to get away from the crowd, forgetting that they're even on the road. I mean, maybe that's natural selection, but still, <laughs> like, it's it's just, it's not forward thinking. It's just, oh, we'll just get everyone out of the venue. And then once they're outside, it's not our responsibility. We don't give a shit. Yeah, but exactly. There's, um, yeah, there's quite a few things there. But, I mean, we could we could keep ranting about... Um, <laughs> How? It's, up to, it's up to us to fix the state of Sydney. Come on. <laughs> I think a few people have been trying to rack, rack their heads around that for a while now. And um, but mind you, I, I don't know. I mean, we might be we might be coming up a little bit and getting out of the out of the dip 
slightly. I, I heard the Lansdowne's going to open back up again. I don't know what in what capacity, but someone mentioned that they're going to be a, a live well, music venue I mean, again. But, you know, uh, I don't really know what the stag has planned since uh, since the renovations, but, uh, you know, I've heard various different things that it's not, it's not going to be as user-friendly as it was. Mm. But, um, you know, like I've spoken to people like, like Cam McKenzie and stuff, and I was like, man, you know, at one point I think the Lewisham was available for rent, you know, and it was a fair amount of money, but, like, I went, you know what, if if the Sydney scene wasn't so, um, was a little bit more gelled, like with the metal guys, you know, yeah. we could get every band to chuck in 100 bucks a week and rent that ourselves as a rehearsal space, there's a room out of the back, you rehearse in there, you could put your gigs on there and you could run it as a club. Um, but, you know, you try and manage something that has 100 different people with their input, you'd never get anything done. Yeah. Um, but something like that, you know, there's, there's, you know, it's not fair to have two or three people responsible for an entire uh, venue. But, you know, if there's enough of us to kind of go, okay, this is, this because, you know, we don't have a hub, you know, there's, there's not really, I mean, the stag is what it is, but there's no crowbar, there's no central place. Like the Annandale, I guess, was it until it wasn't. Um, you know, and before that, the, you know, the Lewisham was, you know, it could be again. You know, there's no, like, mecca, I guess, where everyone congregates anymore. Um, with, you know, with that kind of, with the years of, decay on the walls like remember the, the the dressing room in the metro it was like you could no. feel the history and now it's just gentrified shit mm. and it's like there, there's there's no sense of um belonging there you know and you know, i think that that's gone because the the younger bands are coming through and they don't have any attachment to that like you know when i was a kid it was like either warhead records or utopia records i mean utopia's still around but um you know it's not as concrete I think is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's so many different things now. There's so many more distractions and it's harder to get people out in general anyway. There's too many other things pulling people away. And I mean, there's so many different excuses. But I mean, I remember like when I first moved to Sydney, I don't know, 10 plus years ago, and it was the Gaelic and Bar yeah, Broadway right. and... Um, uh, well, Excelsior probably would have been still yeah, going. Yeah, Excelsior was still going, Yep. And then it wasn't a music venue, but it was definitely a hub was Bar Ace and that was underneath oh, the yeah, Metro. Yeah. So, and that was sort of like a, it was a pre-drinking hub there for a lot of the inner city sort of uh, shows. So like even like the, obviously for the Metro, it was un- right underneath. So it was logical to drink there. But um, even for other shows, a lot of people would go pre-drinks at, uh, at Bar Ace and get like $2.50 beers or $2.50 bourbon and Cokes or something like that. And by the time you mm. get to the gig, you well, the rest of the night's a write-off, but it was it were these central places in the city where it was right near the train station, easy for everybody from every direction of Sydney to get in. It's one central yeah. meeting spot, whereas Stag's good, and I kind of have optimism with the renovations that they've done, although I haven't been there since they've done anything, but they're still out of the way. There's no train station yeah. nearby. Petersham train station's about 15-minute walk away, which is not far, but for a lot of people, that's too hard basket. Or you have to catch yeah. a catch a taxi, an Uber, or a bus out from the city. And for a lot of people, it's just one step too many, and they go, "Oh, it's too hard." Then you got and th- those pe- the dedicated people will drive instead, which is fine. That's no issue. But then the bar, the venues are looking at it not just from you know ticket sales and the venue high, but they're looking at it from the bar sales as well. So they're like, "Oh God, maybe our drinks are going down a bit as well." <laughs> Well, yeah. Who knows? I mean, I, you know, I live out in Dural, so it's not really like, yeah. I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I would love to do more locals. I get 
invites all the time. It's like, man, yes, but it's like, I mean, it's not as far as like where I used to, you know, I grew up in Camelltown, but it's it's a hike and it's like, you know, you, you kind of get home and it's a big, it's just a lot of commitment to really do that. And especially when you're driving, you can have like two drinks and that's it. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. But, um, oh, yeah, with, uh, you know, you were saying bar ace, there used to be, we used to say, I had a couple of mates, it was like when Utopia was on the metro side of George Street, down the bottom there, um, there was that, there was the Century Tavern. Yes. And yeah. and there was a Burger King or a Hungry Jack's on that corner as well. I think it might still be. Yeah, yeah. And we, we, we used to say if the world ended and that block stayed, then we'd be okay because, like, Century Tavern was, you know, it had sticky carpet and Guns N' Roses on the jukebox before it got <laughs> sort of hamsified, you know. Yeah. Um, and all chromed up and shiny. It was a fucking rock dive thing, and it was like gritty, and it was good. And I think that's almost like you know an embarrassing throwback. Now we can't have that. Everything's got to be shiny and fucking yeah. iPhoney and stuff like that. It's yeah. like, eh, you know, that's why I do like going to London. There's still, you know, punk still exists there in some pockets. You know, like it's getting gentrified as well. Don't get me wrong, but you know, still see some, you know, Mohawks safety pin guy walking around the street like it was 1978 oh there's a bit more leniency to to allow that sort of stuff to still exist and function in its own little domain and and coexist with everything else whereas as you said here it's you know all the pubs are getting renovated everything's getting getting sterile and and uh slick and all the old Mm -hmm. all these old historic pubs are all getting you know torn down or or renovated and just losing all the old character but because people don't aesthetically think it's it's in line with uh with whatever vision they have of of the city or the area and some it's a bit of a shame people going back they renovate these things the people going back into them once they do it like you know, like between my house and the city, it's just going to be apartment hell all the way down Epping Road there. Yeah. But, you know, they're not building recreational things for these people. They're going to 50,000 people living in a suburb and, you know, a fucking pizza joint at the bottom of their building, and that's kind of it. I, I think they, they're designing it so that people don't go into pubs and hang out anymore. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah. you know, yeah. you've got the internet at your fingertips now, so it'll be it'll be yeah. like the Matrix. You just sit at home and then you're just plugged in. and <laughs> just, just, just watch old YouTube videos of, you know, the decline of Western civilization or something. Like yeah. That. Just remember what it was like. Yeah, how ironic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so a quick shift. So going back yeah. to what you said before with download, um, one question I was going to ask you is in that setting – um, where you're backstage with a whole range of different people and uh, varying levels of uh, stardom and whatnot and experience over the years. For you, and uh, maybe just tying into, I guess, last night when you are at Devon as well, are yeah. you going, do you go each year or the, the years that you've been, do you go there with the intention to to catch up do you go with the intention to network? Is it to do business or is it a combination of everything? Like, especially in those sort of areas, especially in a backstage area, you got, I guess you got to be pretty mindful that you're not sort of doing hard sales with people and whatnot, but is it more of just a, I don't know, is it a networking opportunity it's, for it's, you? It's, it's yeah, absolutely a networking opportunity. It's not really, you go there and go, right, I have 15 meetings here today. Like I do actually have a dozen meetings in London, but they're not on festival days. They're with labels and, booking agents and a bunch of stuff that's happening external to that. But last year, I was actually invited by Alex Millis, who's now the former editor of Metal Hammer, to 
come and do the bike ride, the charity bike ride, heavy yeah. metal trans bike ride from London to download. So when the, I don't know, the year, maybe 2015 Soundwave, the whole bunch of Team Rock came out. There was like eight of them or something like that um, to cover Soundwave for Metal Hammer magazine and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we just became friends because I was looking after them. They were, you know, I had a dozen of my own acts to look after on, on Soundwave, including King Parrot and Air Blue Scars, as well as internationals. And, you know, I gave them a bunch of King Parrot exclusives, and I think they just were blown away by that. Um, so we stayed friends after that. I'd already knew them before that anyway. So, you know, Alex, we're just chatting away one night on Facebook, and he goes, you know, what are you doing, you know, like, June? I'm like, besides having a birthday, nothing. He goes, well, come over and do the, the bike ride with us. I was like, yeah, funny. And, you know, the last time I rode a bike was, a while back and then he's like no I'm, I'm serious like you know we, we do this as, you know, last year would be the fourth year they've done it we you know it's organised by Rod Smallwood who's Iron Maiden's manager and Alex and they raise money for these children's charities and I'm like you know what that sounds pretty fucking good um, so obviously that is involved there's there's industry people there there's this year it's going to have people like Andy Sneap is going to do the ride okay. um, there's artists you know, Johan from Warner Mars done it. James from Tesseract's done it. Um, you know, there's there's all, uh, there's one of the guys from Paradise Lost doing it. So there's always local sort of pommy guys that are doing it, hmm. um, which is amazing because it's a fucking hard thing to do. Uh, 80 kilometers the first day, 140 the second, and not 50 into into download on the final day. But you kind of take a break every 30 k's or so, um, and you know that's where you just fill up on sugar and you know sort of. <laughs> isotonic stuff and all that yeah, stuff but when yeah. we were having the lunch breaks these dudes were sinking pints and having cigarettes and I'm like <laughs> are you how is that even possible I can barely stand yeah yeah because yeah I can do like 100k's but after that your legs just turn to shit and you just you just you force of will to keep your pedals turning and these guys are going you know like English rugby side it's like come on mate just 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 do it you know just like this, this hard ass geezer shit and I was like Amazing, you know, and you're feeling bad, and then you see Rod Smallwood, who's nearly 70, come flying past you, going, "Hurry up, lad!" You're like, "Yeah, right." <laughs> so, but, but with you know, with them, uh, with download, download and Hellfest physically a very different setting. Downloads on the side of a hill, and uh, it was pissing down with rain when we arrived. Like perfect weather for the ride. Um, literally, as soon as we got there, uh, it was like mega rain for the three days. They called it drownload um, to the point where I had to go and buy, you know pair of military boots to stand in this field. Um, so networking there is a little bit different. At Hellfest, is kind of like this sit-down bar thing. And, you know, like I said before, like when it was a different crew every day, a different bunch of people every day, there was some label people that were there all weekend. Mm. Um, and a lot of it, because I've been doing my job for like, you know, well, I've been doing in the industry for 20 years, but specifically metal stuff for like the last 10, there's a lot of Euro and US labels that I deal with and have been dealing with for years that we never actually met because it's like they're not going to come out here for any particular reason. So I was like, I'll go to them. So a lot of it was just finally face-to-name kind of thing, you know, Mm. meeting the flesh. And then then those kind of things, it's more like just just when you're on email, you're pretty much keeping it to business. There's not much chit-chat. But when you're there, you can kind of get to know them. You know, on, a, on a personal level, and that was really good because I was like, man, I've fucking known you for like five years, but now we're finally talking about whatever. You yeah, know? yeah, and 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 that's really cool. But then you know they'll turn to somebody else and go, "Do you know this guy? He does this," and you're like, "Shit!" So you know, just networking by default. And you know, there's there was one there. I was talking to a lady and a guy for like twenty minutes before any of us said our names. 
and then we realize we've all been working with each other for ages. <laughs> you know, so it's and and it's it's like that. It's basically like an aria awards the medal. Like everywhere you turn, someone's involved in some level. You know, like I met the guy that did the arts for all of like the King Diamond records and and yeah, right. all that sort of stuff. And he was just hanging around there. Like he's a French guy. He was just there. So um, yeah, it's just like this this. Endless opportunity to work. You don't really kind of go, all right, I'm here and I'm here with Label X and we're going to nut out a friggin' business plan. It's like, cool, I'll, you know, talk to you when I get home kind of thing like that. Because from those festivals, you know, I continued. I was there for a month. So it wasn't like, you know, by the time, actually one of them, you know, Hellfest was a distant memory for them and I'm still traveling and they're like, haven't you gone home yet? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I mean, and it's, and that's the, the thing with that is that they can, um, yeah, they're a two hour ride from home where I'm like, you know, on the other side of the planet. Mm. And I mean, I guess, I guess with a, bit, a lot of this is just strengthening existing relationships with people and then obviously if you're meeting new people it's just building something with without that intention of trying to do something in that moment in time it's just putting a as you said a, a face to the name and then especially if you i mean even those scenarios you're saying where you've been dealing with people for x amount of years and have never actually met them in person i'm sure when you got back home then you had to go back to you know business as usual and conversing backwards and forwards that everyone's just that little bit easier to deal with like there's just a bit more yeah. rapport there yeah, well, whereas some one person before, you know, it might have been an email-only relationship and sort of semi-formal, you know, you spend two days drinking beers with them, all of a sudden you can annoy them on Facebook Messenger if you need something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's that kind of, it, it breaks that down. It just makes it, you know, fuck, it's not, we're not nurses and doctors and lawyers here where everything's super formal. It's like, yeah, you break down that wall and then it's just like, hey, we're all trying to work together on the same thing kind of thing. Um, yeah, there is obviously certain levels of respect that you have for, some very big players and, and you know and those relationships stay that way you know but as far as like your equal footing or you know label mate from a, a label that you work with you know yeah it's like just hanging out with someone from here they're just from Germany or France or wherever they're from um, and that's the good thing you know like not many of those guys come out and if they do it's more a band at a time you know mm -hmm. like the festival the festival thing was a bunch of years that was really good because they were all here but the hectic pace of that schedule meant that they're, you know you could party with them and you could, you know, get some shit done because there was a few days off, obviously, between the sort of Sydney and the Melbourne one where it was that week of sideshows. But everything's crazy. You know, like, I, you know, I think the last time I did it, for some reason, I, I always ended up with more bands for PR than anybody else. So, you know, my, my, while there's a couple of PRs out there maybe fucking, you know, having a party, I'm sitting there tearing my hair out with schedules. You know, obviously you do end up having a good time, but it's a stress level and a half. Um, but that was a good thing about this is like, I will be working while I'm away, but I don't have any responsibilities at the festival per se. So I can just cruise around. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 a, yeah, as my wife would say, she, you know, I, someone actually said, enjoy your, enjoy your holiday when I told them where I was going. And, and I went, you know what? I didn't actually consider it a holiday. And she goes, Oh bullshit. You're going on a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, I can't fool her. Um, you know, I can fool myself, but I can't fool her. And she's like, don't kid yourself, man. You know, you're going on a month long fucking boys only holiday. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know. <laughs> and you know, you'll, there'll be some additional benefits that'll come out of it. But you know, oh, that's uh, at least. Well, I mean, I, you know, I work for myself. It's not like I can get you know four weeks of annual leave any other way, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you know, everyone else does that sort of stuff. Like I, you know, 
nine thirty at night, and I've got hours of work to go. It's not like I, you know, finish work at five o'clock and throw my tie down, and and that's the end of that. I mean, that I used to have that life. Yeah, that's right. But you're, I'm certainly not going to trade it. But um, but yeah, it is. It is a you know, I was talking to somebody else about it, and it's like it's definitely a twenty four seven thing because you know, right now Europe's just waking up, so. I'm going to have to start answering emails from them when I get off the phone with you because I can't wait to answer them in business hours myself because nothing will ever get done. It'll be yeah. a three-day turnaround. You know, if you wait for... You only answer me in business hours and I'll only answer you in business hours. It's like, fuck. So you've got to wait. You know, And I've worked out that there's always someone awake. You know, like if I'm here at night, Europe comes online, then the UK an hour later. By the time I go to bed, the East Coast of America is just waking up and if, you know, if I'm... I used to. I used to you know, be doing emails at 2 in the morning because New York would be online. I'm like, screw that. Are they going to answer me at 2 o'clock in the morning their time? No. <laughs> so, you know, and then and then by like kind of early morning, LA is up mm. and you wake up and they're fully going. So, you know, like you have all those conference calls at 8 o'clock in the morning here because it's like lunchtime over there and blah, blah, blah. So, and by the time they go to bed, it might be 2 p.m. here and you're dealing with Australian media. So there's always around the clock, you know, and I, I have peeled it back like you know the uh the old company i used to work for before i would never stop i would always answer every email as it came in and i'm like this is serving nobody except them i'm not i'm dying you know like you might be hanging you know doing shit with uh metal bands but you you're breaking apart because you've got no rest so it's like nah you know nothing's gonna the world is not gonna end if i don't answer an email do you have like a special like not special but do you have a specific schedule that you try and or routine that you try and stay in check with as far as sleeping patterns and whatnot, or is it changed? No. Nah. <laughs> nah, the, 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 only, the only thing I have is to try and win the battle of the inbox. That's about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I train twice a week with CrossFit. Um, last week I didn't go at all because I just, you know, when you leave the country for a month, there's so many micro things that you've got to prepare for that I just didn't get around to it. Mm. Um, and, you know, yesterday got blown out. You know, like I was... In, in the city for two back-to-back meetings uh, and then the Devon gig. So it was like most of the day didn't happen. So I woke up this morning and had to sort of catch up on those emails. So it's very fluid. Like, you know, and I might not know that there's a tour, tour coming up and then get, you know, a day or 48 hours notice that it's, you know, can you do this tour? Yes, bang. So you've got to pretty much drop everything to prepare for the announcement of that tour mm. and then stay on that. Um you know, so you, what plans you think you had for two days' time can very quickly just not happen. Um, but, I, you know, as I get older, I, you know, I try and have more control over that. I'm like, you know what, fuck your press release. I can send it out when I'm ready for it, you know, because yeah. – and I also try and be fair to the artist too. Like, as Marek Media kind of gets older, um, and a really good thing about it is that there's, there's more and more independent bands coming to me being recommended by other independent bands, which is – really great. It makes me feel really good that, you know, everyone's like happy with me to a point where they're recommending other bands and, and so on. So, and, but sometimes the the deck might get really stacked really fast and I'm like, you know what, I could say yes to all of you and uh, just take your money and run, but it's not fair. It's like, you know, you know what, I've got three press releases going out today. Can we move that to next week with your video premiere? Because, you know, it might impact your timeline, but I don't want you to be one of half a dozen things that got sent out today and run the risk of just being lost in the paperwork really yeah so and and bands are respecting that obviously and, and even even the labels was like you know the global premiere might be here but i'm like look australian media i know that there's a big international tour announcement or something like that 
can we move it to the next day? So, you know, th- that's how you sort of, you know, sort that around. But, you know, as far as a, a daily routine, I get up, I take my daughter to school, I come back, I smash my emails on repeat. That's kind of <laughs> it. Try and, try and fit in training, try and fit in my wife's business when I can. Um, you know, I want to return to... You know, I want to return to Krav Maga after I come back from Europe because I've I've neglected that for quite a while. So there's never really, uh, you know, what I'm looking forward to most on the plane, reading a book because <laughs> you know you, you really don't. You know, I'd, I'd love to do that. I actually, said my wife goes, "You read a book? When did the fuck did you read a book?" And I was like, "I was on the phone and I was reading like three pages while you and my daughter were in the shop and <laughs> page here and a page there, and you eventually get through it." But you know that kind of thing. I could stop. No, no there's no one holding a gun to your head going answer these emails but it's like if you don't you wake up in the morning and you've only got more to do that's it that's it and on a plane you're kind of forced to be contained in this one spot for for a duration of time so it's sort of like well you you can sort of almost give yourself the the you know the opportunity without feeling guilty to to stop and actually you know do something else but um but it's getting worse now like plane travel is going to be worse i mean now you got Wi-Fi going on planes. Yeah, that's getting scary. Like I was, we went to Indonesia the other week, and I'm I'm flying flying on the way there, and here I am, you know, mucking around online and doing emails and yeah, no. doing stupid Facebook video and everything like that. I'm like, oh, you idiot! Like I, I and I had two books in my bag that I've been meaning to read. I didn't read them at all. And it's like, you idiot, you idiot. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it, that's the thing. It was like, I remember on one trip, it was like I could call from the hands, from the handset, yeah. like yeah, five, five bucks a minute or something. It was like, I rang home. Oh, you know, there's four dollars. Get off. And then the next time around, it was like, yeah, here, here's some Wi-Fi. So, like, ah, no, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm in this can and I don't want to be disturbed. It's like 24 hours of the, when everyone can leave me to fuck alone. Yeah. Um, and and now like you know like an A three eighty which is those long haul flights mm. like the first time I was on one of those was a return from London it got three hours out of Sydney and I'm like feel free to go around again I'm actually really enjoying this <laughs> you know <laughs> because it was comfortable the TV was good and it was like you know no one's harassing me just fucking keep going and, and it's really weird the first time you do that Sydney to London flight it's twenty four hours is enough yeah. to mess with your head but now it's kind of like you just go you know what this time tomorrow I'm going to be on the other side of the planet it's not that bad. That's that's yeah. it. That's it. It's all perspective, and and and, and I, I do love to give the band, the American band, shit. You know, like even last night, Devon's like, it took me fourteen hours to get from Vancouver. It's like fourteen hours. That's only like halfway to fucking London, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh man. Well, going back to London, um, this charity bike ride that you're doing. So you mentioned mm. a bit about it. So you've got a fundraiser. Is it? Do, do the people that? So if you're participating in this bike ride. Is, the, is part of the requirements to, I mean, everyone's raising money for charity, but what's what's the charity or are there particular charities and what's what's the sort of premise behind it? Yeah, uh, there is three particular charities and you, you kind of, when you sign up, you guarantee that you will raise the money. So if I don't, I've got to hand it over myself yeah. um, as part of the conditions. I mean, you have to submit some money to start with, which is like your registration fee, which covers you. For there's two nights of accommodation when you're on the road, and and obviously there's a there's a team of yep. um like support crew, like they're the, they're the guys that do the navigation, and there's a support vehicle because everyone gets punches and all that sort of stuff. So they're kind of our guide. You got to pay for them, you got to pay for your food and all that sort of stuff. So there's an entry fee that goes to that, and then the remaining yeah, every rider's committed to raising thirteen hundred pounds, which is about twenty five hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it does go to three different um. Charities is Nordoff Robbins, Childline, and um, 
Oh my God, I forgot the other one. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll get to it. Um, but, uh, you know, they actually did get a bit of resistance last year with someone saying, you know, well, charity begins at home. It's like, you know what, for me, kids are kids, man. It doesn't really matter. You oh, know, that's it. If, if you're giving your money to, you know, people in this, in, in, and that kind of, that falls flat when people like donate to, you know, kids in Africa or something, which I do. Like I've got, um, you know, several different charities that I donate to overseas. Now there's one for water aid because I'm a, you know, really staunch guy in water quality. So, yeah. you know, Teenage Cancer Trust, of course, that was the other one. Um, so Nordoff Robbins, which has offices in Australia anyway. Uh, Childline, which helps kids for, you know, like just someone to talk to. It's almost like a, um, you know, lifeline the, really yeah, for yeah, Australia. Yeah. You know, it's the exact same thing. And Teenage Cancer Trust, well, you know, that, that goes without saying. Um, so I think overall, like this is the fifth year that it's been running. You know, um, they're on track to raise in total across those five years, £666,000. Um, and they're getting there. You know, like the coverage has been incredible. Like the BBC got behind. I don't know if you saw, there was a little video there of them. Mm. Like, and it, it kind of made me a bit, you know, miffed that I wasn't there because all the UK guys went and did like a sweat class basically on these exercise bikes, <laughs> um, riding around, you know, and, and, and the, of course, the taglines on the TV were like, these heavy metal guys are not just doing any old bike ride, you know. They're raising money, sort of thing, and and that got BBC. That was huge. That was global, like you know, national coverage for those guys, and it actually made it here because a whole bunch of people threw it up on my wall as well. Nice. And I said, "Did you see this?" It's like, "Yes, I did. I wish I was there." Um, so you know, for a bunch of ragtag meddlers, you know, doing something as noble as this kind of you know shoots that old you know useless metalhead thing in the water, doesn't it? Really, like you know, and they're really good. You know, you you. You do this and, you know, like, I've got friends there that, you know, that people do it and they're not even from the industry, you know. Like, there's a guy in there who's, like, a very high-up person at Lloyd's Bank in London and he's just into it, you know. And and we're friends, you know. He's, he's like, can't wait for you to come back over and we'll smash beers and smash hills, you know, on the bike. <laughs> so it's definitely, a, like, a, a brotherhood with brother right. and a sisterhood. There's, you know, there's not there's some, some females on there, but not as many as I would of thought anyway yeah. um, maybe, maybe it's a bit daunting you see photos of all these dudes in black t-shirts and Barely lycra guys. it's pretty scary yeah. <laughs> yeah you know and that's the other thing I said is no one's like sitting there like Lance Armstrong you know like maybe mm. if we were we'd do better times but it's not a race either you know like it's a hard slog but it's not like say. you have five hours to get there well, it's, it's, what is it? It's 200 and, what, 270 kilometers or something like that or 275 yeah it's 168 Oof. miles so yeah. the uh, I've, you know, I've seen everything, you know, variants of about 10 miles. I'm like, I don't care. I'm just going to, you just have to get there. Like at the end yeah. of it, the numbers don't matter. But nah, nah. what was really interesting was the slog that it took to get there. And then on the, like you get there, like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, download is the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I came back to London on the Monday. And and it was like three days of grueling hell to get up there and a 90-minute express train ride back to London. <laughs> it did my head in because it was like how, like because that that Monday night was the Golden Gods the Medal yeah. Hammer Awards yeah. and I was like invited to that so I was like shit you know I've got to sort out this train because it's going to take me a whole day to get there then I've got to get there and everyone's like relax man it's an hour and a half I was like <laughs> oh okay and you forget how small England is it's like I, I basically cycled a third of England not the great British you know not the island with Scotland on it but England part of it <laughs> like a third of that a third of that country in you know in three days and you can 
tear us back there in 90 minutes on an express train, which Sydney could never have. Um, <laughs> and I was and I was back in London by 11:30 that morning. It was kind of surreal. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, yeah. well, what I'll do is I'm going to put uh, the details online for the fundraising page, but I've got the link up here. So it's uh, justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Australian. Is it Truants? Truants? Truants, yeah. The so, heavy Metal Truants is the name of the ride. Yeah. You can do it without the fundraising part as well, but uh, oh, yeah. both, well, both links work. You just could justgiving.com forward slash Australian Truants will get you to the same page, Yeah, and um, which is the one I'm using because, yeah. It's, an extra, it's a word less. Yeah, oh, that's it. Make it easier. And that's uh, Truance is T-R-U-A-N-T-S, just for people that yeah. don't know. I don't know why they that's, – that's obviously their name. But I don't know if it translates <laughs> too well over here, actually, but it doesn't really matter. Oh, that's um, right. I'll have links. But last, last year I just had just forward slash Chris Merrick, but because it's like um, you have to create a new page and I'm doing it with Carl from the editor of Heavy Magazine. I was say, yeah, you know, Carl's like, involved. Yeah, I, I still don't think – He's um, really sure what he's in for. Because, yeah, I was going to say this is his first time. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> when, when, you know, I mean, he's a Melbourne guy. We were. He was actually up here. We were having um, dinner here, and I pictured to him. I said, you know, like I showed him photos on my phone. I was like, this is really cool thing. Yeah. You know, you, you should do it. And he's kind of like, by the end of the night, I kind of twisted his arm. <laughs> like, you know, let's do it. You know, and and he's like, yeah, fucking fucking knows. And I'm like, okay, so you got a bike? He's like, yeah. Do you ride it? Nah. All right, you're going to have to seriously start putting in like, you know, rides of 20, 30, 40 kilometers a go. Uh, and then like about a week later, we we picked it up again and he's like, tell me more about this thing again because, you know, we'd had a few beers and stuff. I'm like, so, you know, you do the ride and each stage is like 18 kilometers, roughly 18 to, to 25 kilometers and you have a break. And he went, oh, 18 well, 18 miles, I think I said. Uh, 18 miles, you know, a day is, is pretty good. And I went, not <laughs> no. a day, <laughs> a stage. And I said, on, on day two, there's seven stages. And I, I got like about two hours before I responded to that. He went, oh, shit. So I was like, yeah, man, it's it's a tough thing. Like, you know, we, we pulled into Luton, which is, uh, I'd only ever been to Luton for the airport when I flew to Norway. And uh, the town is, is nothing to write home about, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, we pulled into there on the first day, and that's like 80 kilometers, which you know, after the training I've been doing seems pretty easy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have dinner, there's a bit of a first night kind of bonding session, you know, some awards given out for, you know, the dickhead with the most punches or whatever. <laughs> um, and then and then you, you hit it, you hit bed, because you're riding again at 7.30 the next morning. And I was like, holy shit, you know, that was a warm-up because the 7.30 session, you know, I think I looked at my timestamps on my photos and I think we were riding for 11 hours, oh, um, which when you break it down, it's only 14 k's an hour, but they're some tough k's. It's like there's some yeah. big hills in there and, and you know, you've got to – it's not so much that, oh, you know, I could do 14 kilometers 10 times. It's non-stop. Your legs do not stop moving. So – you know, they actually say that on the on the Truants website, if you're going to register, it's like, man, take it seriously. There's some actual training you're going to need to do, you know, not just to pedal around the block kind of thing like that. You know, go out and do some some Ks. Like, I bought a, a pretty decent bike to do that on because, you know, your old Kmart job is not going to cut it. Well, um, I know that you've been doing a bit of training and you're relatively fit. You, you, you're you fairly active, but um, how's Carl faring? Is he is he getting into the training or is he sort of... He, he won't tell me. He actually won't. <laughs> Time will tell. <laughs> um, and I know. So he was up in Sydney last night. I saw him at Devon, and I'm like, "Man, you're looking a bit, you know, felt there. You, you know, are you riding?" And he's like, "I'll be fine. 
I'll be fine. And I'm like, I think he's just, I could see the sweat beating off his face then. And I was like, man, you know, he's a couple of years older than I am. But when you, you know, all I have to do is just go, Smallwood's on the thing and he'll kick our asses. And then he got really no comeback to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of other dudes that are well into their fifties on it. But I think they're like, you know, cause we get given just a bog standard bike, whatever they manage to get from, the sort of crew that are putting it together. Yep. A lot of the guys, English guys, you they know, they've got their they're, own, they're, they're, they're yeah, own bike, yeah. which is this bullshit carbon fiber thing with like skinny tires and taking it seriously. You know, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the things I remember most about last year wasn't you know my legs copped it, yes, but your ass did because you're sitting <laughs> on that little chair and oh man. <laughs> and this year, I mean, I've been training enough that it's kind of. You know, it's it's. it's I'm you used some, to it. You've you kind got of, some calluses now on your ass. <laughs> yeah, you know, you've got well, you've got the padded pants and the padded yeah. fucking seat and all that sort of stuff, which I just left on the bike last year. I'm like, you can keep that. I'll get another one from Kmart. Um, <laughs> but you know, you, you, your backside, like your hip bone, your, your, your mm. seat bones, I guess. You know, just because it's constant pressure, and your hands, like the meat of your palm and, and the other side of your hand, like just from gripping, bearing down on yeah, the on the weight. on the handlebars, because. You know, but now like I've been riding enough, you know, sort of broke my ass, and I guess. Um, but your hands still cop it a bit because they're just you're straight down, you know, like that. And if it was a if it was a, uh, like a road bike with those kind of curved handlebars, you'd be more ergonomic. But uh, that's not going to be unless I bring a set, and I really don't want to. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you know, same as last year. Once I finish that ride, I won't touch a bike for like six months. It's like screw that. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, I talk to, you know, when you go to the bike shop and you get your bike tuned up, oh, I'm going to do this big ride, 275k, and they're like, I did that on Saturday morning. I was like, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Rub it in. Thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was this dude, you know, like, you know, I, you know, I ride kind of out the back of Kenhurst here. It's nice. There's no assholes trying to run you off the road or anything like that. And I ran into this guy who comes screaming past me and he lived on a property out there. And I said, oh, it was like eight o'clock in the morning. No, it was about 8.30 in the morning. Hmm. He just returned from a 90k trip out the Windsor. Oh. I was like, mate, you know, I can't compete with that. Sorry, was this the other day? Uh, no, it was about a month ago. Oh, okay. I was going to say, well, it was starting to get fairly cool in the morning as well. So I was going to say, if it was oh. just the other day, jeez, oh, he's game. Far out. Well, that was that was the thing. You know, it's, it's England and it's summer, but that might as well be Sydney in autumn because yeah. the temperatures are about the same. Like the first, the second day when we rode out at seven o'clock in the morning, I had two t-shirts on. I was freezing. <laughs> Yeah, and by eleven o'clock, you, I had that extra shirt down my pants to sort of pad my ass out even further. But um, <laughs> this year, apparently, I've got to I've got to be keen to see it. Um, one of the riders' sons is joining us, and he's going to be controlling the drone. Right. So we'll have some drone footage, which yeah, would cool. be really cool. Because because that's the other thing you got to remember is like you're in the country, so like you know you go through the cities and well, not really the towns. Mm. You know, villages, hamlets, some of them, yeah. three houses and a dog. Um, because you're not on the freeway. They kind of did it where you're on these kind of nice country paths. Um, and I had to stop every now and again because just, 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 just to look. Because yeah. you're like, you're too busy. You know, if you get this big-ass hill in front of you, you kind of just look at the ground because the ground doesn't really change elevation, but you just get up that hill. Yeah. But you kind of stop every now and again. And you're like, this is, this is incredible what you're seeing the countryside like I've driven around that countryside many times but you're doing 100 miles an hour you're not really stopping to take it in so you know and then you kind of it's an anticlimactic feeling at the end because we got there you know and last year's theme was um, we are the road crew so it was in honor, in honor of Lemmy um, one of the guys when we, every time we rode out of somewhere he'd have it blasting on his like Bluetooth <laughs> speaker thing um, so like about a mile and a half out of download 
we all gathered. It's like, this is it, you know, like the final stretch and then we all go our separate ways kind of thing. And we all had a, a shot of JD for, for Lemmy and rallied. And then, because they wanted everyone to be grouped so we could ride in together. Because when you ride in the front gate, you know, all the charities are there to welcome you. There's a you know, a couple hundred people that sort of followed you online. And it's like this big kind of hero's welcome. You're like, yeah, fuck yeah. You know, and you get in there and you pick up your bike and you, yeah, shake it around. And then, and then give everyone a hug. And literally within 10 minutes, you're on your own. I was like, <laughs> wow, what happened there? You know, it was like, you know, well, we all went into like the Team Rock. I remember they had their own tent and, you know, you had to bring your your stuff in because like I said before it was like literally we were, it was starting to spit so by the yeah. time like, we leave the bikes there grab your gear ran into that tent got out of those bike shorts sat down with a beer and the rain just hit and we were an hour late too so you know we was, couldn't have cut it any finer with the rain yeah but uh, yeah it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see <laughs> if I do it next year I don't know because I know how much training I put into it and you, it's hard to gauge how much fitter you feel because well, I, did, I did 100 kilometers yesterday and it still hurt. Oh, man. I, you're a better man than I am. Far out. <laughs> but it's intriguing. Well, yeah. I, I'd love to. I, I, like, you're, you're selling me the concept. I reckon it sounds amazing. Like, even if it's an absolute punisher of a, of a ride and you absolutely feel like you're going to die at times, I think um, it just sounds like such a rewarding thing to, to be giving back. But to be a part of like a group, like, as you said, sort of like this, this group of people all banding together with the same, like like-minded people all for, for the same purpose. It's sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, a big part of me when I said yes, when I was invited was like, you know what, I, I, I want to see if I can do it. You know, like I've never really challenged myself physically to that point. Yeah. I've done like my martial arts and all that sort of stuff, but that's, different you're paying someone to beat you up um this was like this is an endurance thing this is a really this isn't over in an hour like a, a gym session or something like that this is a real challenge mm. and you know can i do it you know and to be honest with last year i didn't do any training I, I literally rode 10 kilometers down the back of where i live and bought an exercise bike and did 200 kilometers on it and that doesn't compare to real riding whatsoever mm. um so, and I managed to pull it off. So I was like, okay, this year, a year, I'm a year older, I'll turn 40 on the first day of the ride, but uh, let's see if I can crack it. But, um, you know, we're kind of thinking of how you could introduce that to here. I mean, there's plenty of charity bike rides that go on here all the time. But, um, you know, download is a, is a pilgrimage for people from all, because it's literally almost dead center of England. Like East Midlands Airport is like two miles away. You put a pin right in the middle of, looking at it now you put it in the l of england and that's where it is yeah um but here it's like you know like when the unified festival was on for example it was three hour drive from melbourne you're not going to ride a bike that far that's too far um you know and and anywhere else it's kind of a capital city thing so how would you do it would you just kind of like do an outskirts of sydney ride it doesn't really have the same kind of epicness to it it's just like yeah. you're just following the fucking m7 or something <laughs> that's right you don't have uh, which you don't i have did ride scenery. yeah did you i did ride that on <laughs> sunday actually i was i did 40 kilometers around um my area around the back yeah. and i was going to go around that loop again and make it 80 and then i was like you know what my mum lives in Campbelltown. she's moving uh and i'll never get a chance to ride that m7 bike path again so i hit it um and it's a it's me there's some really big hills because it's not, it parallels the freeway a yeah. fair bit, but then it goes off and crisscrosses underneath it all the time. So one minute you're on the left of it, one minute you're on the right of it. Um, but some of those really big beams, 
you'll see it next time you're driving past it at night, all the white lights that are off to the side is the bike path illuminated, uh, and it goes yeah. up these hills and down. And one that was kind of near Horsley Drive, like Liverpool, yeah. like you, you're on a massive high point because you can see straight through to the horizon. You can actually see the city. You can see past Liverpool. You can see Sydney from there. So you're up really high, and then you had to ride up that. And but because I ring my mum, I'm like, if I ride, can you? drive me home because I'm not going to ride all the way back and she's like yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll, that'll be fine um, I got to the intersection of uh, the M5 and the M7 at Camden Valley Way and it and it went dark and I was like I've got 20, 20 kilometres to go to Cameltown and I don't have a problem riding in the dark except that the bike path ends and you have to ride on the Hume Highway and I was like uh, forget that yeah no way so I just rang him I said pick me up at the Maccas on Camden Valley Way <laughs> and they did so it was it was, it was a pretty hectic that's a, that's a good uh, effort. That's a good effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and obviously it's it's a thing because when I got there at the McDonald's, there's a whole bunch of weekend riders with their mates and their yeah. four wheel drives, and they're they're all arriving in groups of two and three, and then you know undo all of their riding with a couple of hamburgers and go home. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I hope it uh, I hope it all becomes a, a huge advantage on the day. Although you might be babysitting Carl a little bit on that. Uh, on the ride, so I'm, I'm intrigued and, and excited to see how you both go. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I was thinking, do, do I, you know, hang if he's lagging, do I, you know, help him along or do I just go see you at the end, mate, and take off? Yeah, <laughs> well, know, that's I'm, it. Have I'm a competition sure. to see who gets there first. Yeah, do your times. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, last year I didn't have any of that kind of stuff, but this yeah. year I've got a really cool app which actually spits out your your distance and your this and your that. Nice. Um, so you can keep a track on if you're lagging, you know, you, you know, distance, you know, twenty average twenty kilometers an hour, and then you start getting some hills, and it's like your average is now fifteen. Pick it up, you yeah. know. Yeah. But I think if you can do a twenty k an hour average, you'd be making a good time. Nice. Well, I'll be keen to see how you go. Sounds. Um, I'm. Yeah. I'm quite. Uh, quite envious. Even though it sounds extremely painful, it does sound. Does sound pretty exciting and fun. Well, I think. Um, I will be. You know, I, I did it last year too, but I think it'll be the early to late night here. But I'll be posting every. Uh, kind of every rest breaks so every like hour or two, or every probably two or three hours. To be honest. Um, you know, a photo of where we're up to. It's cool because when you get there, there's a there's a map. And they just keep moving the pin. We're now here, and we've got this far to go. And uh, you know, once you start getting into it, you, it the, the you know, when you first start, you don't really. I remember it was like, all right, we're just doing this. But once you get really into it, and you start feeling it, and then you look at how much further you've got to go, then you start going, ah, oh, shit, because that second day is killer, man. It's like 140, and so many breaks in between. But you can't stop. There's no, you know. You've got to get to Leicester, which is where your bed is, if you want to sleep in it. <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's good for the willpower. Absolutely, yeah. you know, it's like, and I don't think I, you know, consume that many calories ever in a in a seventy two <laughs> hour period. To the point where I remember we, uh, I was staying with my friend Jason from Macacocker. He was uh, he was on the ride with me, yeah. and the Saturday morning, so we arrived to download on the Friday night or Friday. Had the Friday night, woke up. With the first day in a couple of days, we didn't have to do anything. It's like, yes, all right. There's, there's a breakfast joint next door. Let's, you know, let's go and we and we ordered up a, a you know, I love English food. It's so cheap. It was like a full English breakfast with a coffee for five pounds, which is yeah. ten bucks. You try and nice. do that anywhere in Sydney, man. Impossible. And uh, and I couldn't finish it. I couldn't eat it because <laughs> like our bodies had just been smashing carbs for three days. That all this protein, I didn't want it. <laughs> so as, as much as I was like, yes, oh, yeah, I'll fucking get into this. 
no, I got sort of, you know, we got a, you know, halfway and just went, I can't stomach the rest of it. <laughs> you know, the body's, the body's craving sugar. Oh, um, and, I, and I lost weight because the bum bag was falling off me by the end of it. <laughs> it's all water and, and, and stuff, but, you know, it's, it, we, someone did a track on the second day, we uh, burned 8,000 calories. Oh, man. Well, at least you'll have a few more weeks afterwards to put it all back on again because it wouldn't be a, a true holiday if you came back with uh, with less on, on your body than uh, when you began. I know. Well, I'm actually um, – last year I went to Germany because I went to the Century Media Head Office and we had a good, hearty, fucking full-on German Sveinhaxen and sauerkraut oh, meal. was yeah. brilliant. Um, but this year, no Germany. I'm going – I'm actually going from – Copenhagen, uh, yeah, going to Copenhagen from Hellfest to check out Copenhagen. I've got yeah, friends nice. that live in Malmo, and, and Malmo is literally over the, across over the border. The, yeah, uh, and and the Copenhagen lineup is unreal. Like, there's a whole bunch of these bands that are on all three of the festivals I'm going to, which is mainly like Slayer and Overkill and Alter Bridge and Dillinger Escape Plan and a few of like, the big names and that. But you know, on the Copenhagen one, you get like Merker and Batushka, who I never thought yeah, I'd wow. get to see play. Like they're like that kind of shoegaze black metal with like Gregorian chants and stuff, <laughs> and it's it's amazing. And and I had a look at the site. It's like this. It's so small. It's like you could see the guy grinning on the last line, and it's like that's that's it. There's maybe ten thousand people there, and wow. like. This is a festival, and and it's not like it's in the middle of nowhere too. It's like you know it's the the train from my friend's house in Malmo. To Copenhagen takes 14 minutes and there's a bus that takes 10 minutes to get to the harbour where the site is <laughs> so you can probably you probably hear it from their house you know like it's I mean Denmark Copenhagen is a very small city but the fact that they you know and it's apparently one of the you know, the emerging festival in Scandinavia as well yeah wow interesting yeah I've known so, about it for for a couple of years but um, I didn't yeah didn't know that that's um yeah it's quite interesting yeah cool. I mean it's it's, it's it's a good one they got in flames they got you know um like I said, Slayer, this is quite a good lineup of known stuff and some unknown a bit things more as well. So. Stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and it, I'll be there for midsummer too, so you know, you're oh, getting yeah. home and it's still light. Yeah, well, that's it. Uh, definitely helping that part of the world. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what I was going to say because uh, I don't get my German feast. I get the, uh, well, hopefully they have it in Malmo. I know they have it in Stockholm, which is the uh, Tonbadzrul, or Tonbadzrule, which is like a Swedish kebab. It's awesome. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's like sausage. Yeah, it's like a sausage and mashed potato in a pita bread with all of the you know usual pickles and and mustards and shit that you get from IKEA. Oh, so they're, it's they're, quite quite amazing. There you go. Well, if you if you get your if you get your hands on them, then you'll definitely be putting on weight by the time you get home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the calories will come piling back on. Yeah, that's it. Well, I'll um when you take those photos along the way. I might keep updating the website with this episode and people can check out the photos as well. And Absolutely. I'll have all the links to, to the fundraiser as well and I might put some things for people to check out, Marek Media and all the stuff that you're up to. We didn't even scrape the surface of all that, but um, we can do a part yeah. two when you come back, so that'd be cool. But um, I'm just watching the time, so I'm going to let you go, but um, I've, I, I wish you the best uh, over Thank in the you. UK and um, I hope that uh, Friday next week when you jet off that uh, no one – no one famous dies while you're on the plane. <laughs> it's, uh, we should, we should, I should start a pool. I think maybe <laughs> we might, we might do an off, off the record uh, bet. We'll, we'll, we'll pick out some, uh, some um, big names and see who's going to fall. <laughs> well, it was funny that you know when the other week when uh, when the, the Buckingham Palace called that meeting oh, and it yeah. was for, for nothing, and it was like, oh man, imagine if you know, because I, I honestly thought the worst, and I was like, man. 
I don't want to be there when that's happening because the whole country will just be down. Yeah. Yeah. You because know, they, you know, for as much, all they bitch and moan about them, they love them so much. They do. They and, do. There'd be a lot of distraction there. Um, yeah. Not. Not. Not a good time at all. Yeah, I reckon everything, the whole country just be cancelled. Fuck it. You know? <laughs> That's right. I am yeah. actually there on the second day of the ride is the actual election. So uh, that'll, that'll, that'll be interesting because last year yeah. I was flying from Amsterdam to London on the day of Brexit, which fucked me up because of that. It took me nine hours to get from Amsterdam to London. Oh. Uh, it would have been quicker if I got the train because oh, the BA flight that I was on just kept getting cancelled and then when I arrived in Gatwick, it was pissing down with rain and then the trains were all, you know, the usual, oh, no, the Steve Hughes gag, the tracks are melted. Um, <laughs> and, like, you know, I thought, okay, I'll get this thing because it was a $100 flight and, um, you know, it, and it was like an hour and a half or something like that. But in the end, it was it would have been easy to get the train. And uh, so I was like, okay, so that's Brexit and this time around it's the actual vote. So... There's always something going on. Well, I'm looking forward to, to find out what uh, what national events or, or catastrophes or global celebrity deaths will happen. I'll, I'll be I'll be waiting with anxious breath. <laughs> I don't think it's always like, something happened. Where's Chris in the world? At the yeah, moment? that's right. Yeah, where's where's the tracker? <laughs> 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 All right, man. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. But uh, thanks so much. Good luck with the ride. And oh, uh, thank you very we'll, much. We'll catch up when you get back. For sure. All right, man. Take care. All right, man. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Chris Marrick. I'm quite intrigued and excited to see how his charity bike ride goes this year. Um, it'll be, I'm quite amused to, to hear of uh, Carl's progress or, or uh, the unknown progress along the way. So I think uh, a catch up when they return will be, will be a lot of fun and, and interesting to see. Um, as mentioned at the start of the episode and through the episode, the charity bike race is heavy metal truants. I think it's the fifth one. This is the fifth year. They raise money for three uh, children charities, which are, where's my website? It is Nordoff Robbins, Teenage Cancer Trust, and Child Line. Um, so you can actually visit the main website, which is Heavy Metal Truants, T-R-U-A-N-T-S.com. That has all the background for the charity bike ride. If you just want to learn more about it, maybe you want to be a part of it next year. It's a bit of an investment, but it's an amazing cause. And to be honest, I'm quite intrigued. Maybe 2018? Hmm. Anyway, we'll see. I won't, I won't overcommit just yet. Uh, but you can check out all the background info there. But if you want to raise money specifically for Chris and Carl for their charity bike ride, get in quickly. Uh, the website is justgiving.com slash Australian Truants. Australian Truants, Truants spelled T-R-U-A-N-T-S. And everything will be over at andysocial.net, including all the different things we spoke about. If you're curious about some of the, uh, the European festivals, some of the old Australian festivals that aren't around anymore, uh, Dark Mofo in Tasmania, all these different things. I'll have everything there. If you want to reach out to Chris as well, I'll have all these contact details over on the show notes at andysocial.net also. Thank you very much. I'm going to wrap it up here. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and all the different podcast platforms out there. Leave a rating and a review if you can. That means that the world to me and uh, does amazing things to reach more people. Share, like, comment, tag. Uh, everything's on YouTube as well. All right, enough plugging, enough shameless promotion. That's it. Until next week, take care, guys, and we'll talk soon. You're ready, you're ready, social. You're ready.